Why don't we pray real quick? Father, we again want to thank you that we can come here and get together. We thank you that we can do this uh, in freedom. We thank you that you've called us here. We thank you for the privilege of being here. We just pray, Father, this morning, would you please quiet our hearts. We pray that we would learn. We We pray for wisdom. Would you guide our discussions here? Would you keep us from error? Um, Father, would you cause us to think hard? Um, Father, we want to do your work, and we just pray that you'll give us that industry and uh, that uh, concern so that we do your work and we don't sit back and rely on others, uh, that we are performing as a church as we should perform. We just pray that you'll put that on our hearts and give us the wisdom to, uh, <clears throat> to uh, do it in a proper way. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Bill, a husband and a father of three young children, routinely puts in a 100-hour week. What's, what's your reaction to that? And we don't, we don't want... Do what? <laughs> don't want to talk about the... Don't want to talk about the reaction. Don't want to talk about your view on that. <clears throat> but that type of thing usually does get a reaction from somebody. You see how quickly it got that reaction. <clears throat> And those reactions can be positive, as Brenda said, be negative, as Ken said. He's looking at it from the standpoint of the husband. And uh, <clears throat> those reactions are usually negative or positive, or maybe they're wait and see, or they're uh, just neutral. Okay? <clears throat> but we have an event here. Well, one. Okay, one person will react to an event in one way. Another person will react to that same event in another way. And many times, usually the event is a, just a neutral event. It's just an event. It does not become a good or a bad thing until it comes into your mind, until you begin to make interpretations about that event. And uh, uh, that's what we want to talk about some today. Why do we make the interpretations that we make? Why do we make the value judgments that we make? And the value judgments we make are based on all this belief system that roils around in our head. And uh, sometimes those things are, are so quick and so subtle, those things that we believe and the way they affect our thinking are so quick and so subtle that we don't realize what has happened. And we've made a value judgment, right or wrong, and, uh, and we go with that. <clears throat> my, family, my family has a tendency toward depression. It kind of seems to run in our family. It, and I, I think there are several reasons for it, 
And uh, many, many years ago, I mean, I kind of, and I have to fight stuff. I have to deal with stuff all the time. Uh, but uh, many years ago, I thought, you know, maybe I need to go see somebody. And I had met this guy from Dallas. His name was Hud McWilliams. I met him through Terry and Sharon Hargrave, who a lot of people here in the church know. Hud was a psychologist in Dallas, and he uh, uh, was a Christian, and he, he practiced in a church building down there in a classroom. And, and so I called him, and I said, I think I need to come see you. And he said, okay, uh, go get this book, start reading this book, and, uh, and then when you get here, we're going to talk about it. And the name of the book was a, a little book called Feeling Good, The New Cognitive Therapy. And it was written by a guy named David Burns. And uh, Burns' mentor was a guy named Aaron Beck, and they were at the University of Pennsylvania. <clears throat> and uh, in this book, there's a list of ten things, and it says here are ten here are ten things, errors in your thinking, and you need to learn to recognize those things. And it was a deal of uh, turning off that internal critic and, uh, or maybe re-educating that internal critic. And, uh, and, and what Burns said is he said, you start building a notebook and you have three columns. And over here you say, this is what I think. And in the middle you try to identify which one of these ten things you're, you're doing. And then in the right-hand column, you write down, this is the correct way to think about this. And so you're going around with this notebook that has your darkest thoughts in it. And people say, well, why is that notebook handcuffed to your wrist? And, <laughs> and you say, what notebook? And they leave you alone. You know? So, so uh, <clears throat> I think that Burns <clears throat> and Beck were on to something. <clears throat> so... Then several years ago, we were looked, going through some David Pallison videos. And the first David Pallison video that I saw, I went, that's Aaron Beck. That's everything he's saying right there is Aaron Beck. And uh, I wonder if they know each other. And it turns out, when I finally worked up the industry, they work right down the street from each other. And so when I finally worked up the industry to check it out, David Pallison's Ph.D. is from the University of Pennsylvania. So I'm sure he probably knows Aaron Beck and the people there. <clears throat> because what Pallison says and, and what Beck says are very similar. Okay? And for those of you who don't know who David Pallison is, he's the executive director of uh, the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. And they're in Glenside, Pennsylvania, which is just right next to, to Philadelphia. Where, where University of Pennsylvania is. Um, what would be the difference between what David Pallison might counsel and what was in this David Burns book? <clears throat> the thing... Uh, um, that I think was missing from the Burns book. I think the Burns book, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you need to throw Burns away and go with Pallison. I think Burns was right. I think those things need to be worked on. But what was missing was that Burns never said anything about sin. And Pallison says, 
we need to deal with some sin. Okay? And uh, so, one of the first assumptions we need to look at in ourselves, maybe the most fundamental of all assumptions, is who do you see yourself as? And Tripp's first chapter in this book we're getting ready to take a look at is about that. Who do you see yourself as? We're going to start a book today called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. It's by Paul Tripp. And uh, i got to tell you, I'm just nervous as can be because... uh, this will be a different kind of study from what we've done. And uh, <clears throat> I'm just not sure how today's going to go. <laughs> <clears throat> this book has 14 chapters. We'll be on this for about 14 Sundays. So this study will go through August. Um, <clears throat> one thing, th- those of you who went through the Paul Tripp, when we did the Paul Tripp series on marriage, do you remember Tripp said the, 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 the basic advice when, when you go to a marriage counselor is they say, well, you need to have more date nights or you need to do this, you need to do that. And he said those are just techniques that don't work in the long run and they don't get to the core problem. And do you remember this? He said the core problem is a vertical problem. You have two kingdoms at war with each other, God's kingdom and the husband's kingdom. God's kingdom... Wars with the wife's kingdom, and that's where the big war is. And once you settle that war out, some of these wars are going to start working themselves out. Where most most uh, most counseling would say, we've got to get this this horizontal war between the husband and wife settled. Trip is saying, no, we've got to get this vertical war between God and two people settled. And that's in in that context. It's where we're going to work out this horizontal war. He takes pretty much the same uh, approach to that. You know, you'll see that philosophy in this book. And, uh, and so uh, <clears throat> uh, be, be looking for that. Has, has anybody bought this book or gotten this book or started reading this book? <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> trip in his preface and other places in the book says there's just no way we can hire enough church staff to do all the counseling and ministry that needs to be done in a church. And uh, um, that's and, and so his, his purpose for writing this book was to try to encourage members of a church to become involved in ministry to each other and to... Um, uh, Maybe even become involved in some counseling, which we we don't need to go there, I think. And so we need, we're going to have to figure out as we're going through this, how are we going to use this book? Because we're not trying to come up with a church full of counselors, but we do need to. Uh, uh, I think there is some need to, uh, and it's it's not just me; it's other people who've had some of these brief discussions about our need to minister to each other and, and to become more involved in each other's lives. 
So we're going to do a book on how to minister to other people. So I want to caution you, this is not pick somebody in the church and make them your project. And, <laughs> and so don't go there. But uh, another little, a little gem from Hud McWilliams. <clears throat> he is the one who said, and I think I, I heard him say this, and I think he's right. He said, intimacy does not mean that you get to know another person. Intimacy means that you let other people know you. And uh, so the first thing we have to do is, is get into that frame of mind where we'll let other people know us, know some things about us. And uh, I, I think uh, sometimes people say stuff to me that I say, well, how did they know that? Uh, people already know more about you probably than you think they do. So... So maybe being intimate would just be finally convincing yourself that people know more about you than they think they do. Okay? For us to be ministers to each other, for us to be encouragers to each other, we do have to let our guard down, and we will have to let other people know us. And, it, and this church does, I think, a pretty good job of that overall. We, we're a pretty close group of people. We're tight. And... Uh, we like each other, and uh, they're just maybe a little more conscious effort of, of something here, okay? <clears throat> this book may be kind of a summary. As you start going through here, I don't know how many trip books you've read, but you know trip. When he gets to writing, he goes. And so it's a little tough sometimes for me I don't digest books quickly. Uh, it's a little tough for me to sit down and say exactly what is he saying here. And I texted that to Blake and Dennis. They're going to be teaching also. I texted them one night that pretty much that thought right there. And uh, it, it, for me, it's been kind of frustrating. But once you finally get into what he's saying, I think there's a pretty good summary sentence in chapter 13. It's the, the last sentence of the chapter. Holding on to God's grace and glory is the only way to deal with the disappointment and loss that is so much part of life. As we hold these themes before people, we not only participate in God's kingdom work of lasting change, we also introduce them to the person who offers the highest satisfaction that can be found. And uh, that summary sentence right there is pretty much the book right there. <clears throat> As we hold these themes before people, we not only participate in God's kingdom work of lasting change, we also introduce them to the person who offers the highest satisfaction that can be found. A <clears throat> um, couple of terms that Tripp uses in this book he uses the expression interpretation, which uh, I'm not real clear yet what he means by interpretation. Sometimes he seems to be talking about what I was talking about a while ago. Let's talk about the little list, the list of ten things, mistakes, okay? Some of those mistakes, like you've got a person who's depressed. And this, and, and let, me, let me back up just a little bit. <clears throat> People at the University of Pennsylvania would go into clinics where they had severely depressed people. They had people looking out the window just saying, I just want to die. 
And they started working with them with this therapy. And people were coming, they were recovering from this severe, deep depression once they started thinking about life correctly. <coughs> and uh, some, of the, some of the things on there is like it, maybe somebody's a blanket thinker, uh, a categorical thinker. It's either all right or it's all wrong. I made a mistake. I'm a terrible person, terrible, terrible person because I made a mistake. <clears throat> you know, you try to, it, it's not that you're a terrible person. You just made a mistake. Not everything is lost because you made a mistake. That's the blanket thinking that some people get into sometimes. <clears throat> sometimes you have people who will maximize the accomplishments of another person and minimize their own accomplishments. And uh, everybody else is successful I've never really done anything that was all that worthwhile. That would be one of the mistakes. And then another one would be like reading minds. He calls it reading minds where an example of that would be everybody in this church hates me. I'm sure everybody in this church hates me. I'm sure everybody in this church thinks I'm, there's something wrong with me. And you might be thinking that right now. And, uh, but the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, those are those are some of the examples, okay? <clears throat> so the cognitive therapy thing that Beck came up with, he's the father of cognitive therapy, is he said we need to re-educate your, the way you're thinking there and, and correct these interpretations that you're making of these events. Sometimes Paul Tripp uses the word interpretations. I think that's how he's using it. Other times he uses the same word in another way, and I haven't quite figured that one out yet, but I haven't really come up with what he's, how he's using that word. So if you're reading this book, you're going to see that word over and over and over, and you're going to have to hammer that down. <clears throat> okay? Another word that he uses, another term he uses is heart change, and he uses that one a lot, and it's real clear what he means by that one. And that is that what we're looking for here is a heart change in people. So if you're ministering to people and you, uh, you want a real change in those people, it has to be a heart change. It can't be uh, something you've attached to this person that becomes artificial. They're doing all the right things. They're going through all the right moves, but there's no real heart change. So Tripp's going to go through that. Okay. So I'm a little off script there, but uh, so here we go with chapter one. <clears throat> the name of his chapter is, uh, is what is the best news or the best news or something like that. And he starts out, what's the best news you could receive? The very best news you could receive. A reason to get up in the morning. Would it be that you finally got that dream job you always wanted would it be that you've finally gotten into that house you've always looked at and, and wanted? You're in your, you're in your, uh, <clears throat> you're driving the car you want to drive. Uh, what is your dream? What makes you get up in the morning? And, uh, and I didn't bring my Bible up here. <clears throat> Sorry. If you turn over to Revelation 19, <clears throat> Tripp says in a roundabout way that this is the reason we get out of bed in the morning. 
If we come down to verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That is where all history is headed. To that moment right there. That's where we are all headed. And what we focus on is we focus on that dream job. And we focus on that car we always wanted. And we focus on this house that we always wanted to live in. Well, the real focus should be the real reason for getting up in the morning is that um, we're all headed for this moment right here. All those other things will eventually let you down. Tripp makes two points about Revelation 19, 6 through 8, and that is that Christ has won the victory. And that the ultimate celebration, the wedding of the Lamb, is the ultimate celebration. Um, If that's where we're all headed, why don't we accept that as our reason to get up in the morning? And it's because we have this thing called a sin nature. And we are sinners from birth. And uh, we want our autonomy. And we want to do it our way. And we like our idols. And uh, um, we, we don't... Uh, uh, it's hard to think of two things at one time. We, uh, we just like those things more than we like God's things. And we like the stuff that's here and now more than we want to think about what's going to happen in the future. Okay? I do want to be clear on one thing. As I was getting ready for this, I think it's important to be clear on this one thing. I know the frustrations of working in a job that doesn't fit and the frustrations of being in a situation that you're just saying, this is not going to work and where it's just tough, tough, tough to get out of bed in the morning and go to that job. I know that frustration. And you'll never hear me say that you should give up on, you should just be content with that and, and settle where you are. Don't go looking for another job. You know, you just focus on Revelation 19 and go to this terrible job every day. <laughs> or not, sometimes it's not even a terrible job. It's just not you. Uh, you'll never hear me say that. If you, if you want to get another job, if you want to go looking for another situation, then go look for it. If you want to retire someday, yeah. Yeah, for instance. For instance, just, yeah. Nobody, nobody in particular. <laughs> uh, if that's what you want to do, go do it. Do it in the context of 
the ultimate end, God's ultimate end, is not your short-term pleasure. God's ultimate end is Revelation 19. His glory and the holy people, the people he has made holy. What do we know about ourselves? Well, the one thing that has come clear to me, and I hope it's come clear to you, and that's probably one of those things that where people know more about you than you think they do. It's important for us to think about this. We are broken sinners. That's all we are, broken sinners. You can probably look in your life and see plenty of messes that you've made. And, uh, um, you know, David says in, in the psalm, I was sinful in, from conception. When I was conceived, I was sinful but if you look at some stuff in your life, you can probably see where uh, uh, you live a ruined life. You indeed have a ruined life. I know that's true for, for all of us. All we bring to the table is our sin. That's it. That's as good as it gets. We don't, um, we don't bring anything else. We don't bring any reason for God to save us, we bring our sin. It's not a theory. You know, that's what we're supposed to say. I read it. I've got 47 scriptures to support it. We're supposed to say that, that I'm a sinner. All I bring to the table is my sin. It's not the party line. If I want to get along with people in this church, I've got to say those things. It's the truth. It's the truth about us. But we're redeemed. So when you think about what it means to be redeemed, there's, I think there's a tendency to say it's like it never happened. <laughs> you know, you know. I realize all those things are true about me, but I'm redeemed. And uh, um, <clears throat> when you stop and think about what redemption is, there was a terrible price paid. It's not like those things didn't happen. It's just that somebody paid the debt for you. And as we realize this about ourselves, we are now in a position to do this ministry with each other. And that's why the name of his book is People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. And the more we remember that about ourselves, I think the better we're going to be. <clears throat> the less likely it will be that we'll try to make somebody a project. And remember that what you're trying to bring about, what's trying to come about in your life, is a lasting heart change. Sins that you're entrapped by, sins that you're always struggling with, things that you're always having to fight. Um, you're looking for that lasting heart change when you finally repent and uh, <clears throat> put that aside. That is also the way you need to counsel people. 
when people come to you and say, I'm, uh, I'm having these problems. How do I counsel this person? I don't counsel this person with some kind of artificial, superficial advice. I've got to counsel this person into a lasting heart change. The shining hope of human existence is that people can know, love, and serve God. The shining hope of human existence, people can know, love, and serve God. If you think about your existence as a sinner and uh, that it is possible for you to know, love, and serve God. The essence of personal ministry, according to Tripp, is that we turn people to the man, Jesus Christ. And that's, that's where we start. That's where all our counseling and our ministry to each other needs to be. He gives, uh, he gives uh, examples of a couple of people, Pamela and Jack. <clears throat> and uh, Pamela is this woman who grew up in a, you know, the example he gives here, and I sometimes wonder if these are people he's known, uh, that Pamela grew up in an abusive home, and uh, she tried to be somewhere else when her father got home from work at night so she wouldn't have to put up with that. And, uh, and so she definitely has this definite hurt in her background, and she grew up with that, and she's had to deal with it all this time. But the problem is right now is that Pamela is demanding and she demands to be accepted and she demands that she's always right and she's always looking for people's approval. She's always looking for a thank you for doing something, that type of thing. Everything in Pamela's life has to be perfect. Well, you can see how she might be doing that to protect herself, to make sure that she has control of her environment, to to protect herself so that she doesn't get back into one of those abusive situations. A couple of problems is, one, is that Pamela has probably picked up a lot of that abusive behavior from her home. And uh, it's just learned behavior. And so she's probably, the very things that abused her when she was a child are things that now she is abusing other people with. And not realizing that's what she's doing. But also there's some sin in there. And maybe, you know, a lot of sins in there. And she needs to deal with those sins. Does she need to deal with her past? She does. She also needs to deal with the fact that she's a sinner. <clears throat> and <clears throat> the other example he gives is of a guy named Jack. Jack grew up, his parents were... Uh, active in the church, and they were true Christians, and and uh, Jack grew up in that environment. Jack grew up with all the best Christian education. Everything was good, and when Paul Tripp meets Jack, Jack had, can't hold down a job. He's had several jobs. He's been through a couple of wives, and what he says is people can't understand me. The reason I keep losing my job is my, my bosses don't understand. You know, they just can't handle it that I know more about their job than they do. And, uh, and his wives can't uh, handle being with somebody quite this perfect. And uh, so Tripp says Jack's problem is that 
Even when we're blessed, our sin clouds our thinking. That, uh, that we can't handle blessing. Our sin is so pervasive that we can't even handle being blessed. It's says like the athletic kid who's always making fun of the clumsy kid. It's like the smart kid who's always making fun of the kid who struggles. We, that even in our blessings, we can't handle those without our sin coming into play. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here pretty soon, but I want to find the last sentence of this chapter so we can read it because I think it's a pretty good summary. <clears throat> and then maybe it'll leave us a little time for uh, I'm sorry. Maybe it'll leave us a little time for discussion if I can find the last sentence of this chapter. <laughs> that would be good. <clears throat> In summary, the good news of the kingdom is not freedom from hardship, suffering, and loss. It is the news of a Redeemer who has come to rescue me from myself. His rescue produces change that fundamentally alters my response to these inescapable realities. The Redeemer turns rebels into disciples, fools into humble listeners. He makes cripples walk again. In him we can face life and respond with faith, love, and hope. And as he changes us, he allows us to be part of what he is doing in the lives of others. And as you respond to the Redeemer's work in your life, you can learn to be an instrument in his hands. Um, So it kind of sets us up there for where Trip comes from and where we're going to go in the study of this book. The thing I don't know exactly how we're going to do is when you get into some of the later chapters of the book, it kind of gets into some technical counseling stuff, like asking people to keep notebooks, things like that. I would think in most of our interactions, we're never going to interact with somebody to that extent. We're not going to have a formal situation where somebody comes in to meet with us, but you never know where it'll go. I think most of our interactions are going to be more informal and discussions we have with each other and uh, um, uh, things more along that line. But as we develop through this book, there are also going to be a lot of things in here that you're not going to be sure you agree with Trip. There's always lots of room for disagreement and uh, nobody's saying if you don't agree with Trip, you know, we're going to have to take your side and minister to you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's not here I think there's just going to be a wide open field here of lots of discussion lots of thinking and uh, I think it, it'll be a good thing for us to do kind of example of a uh, the way people minister to each other Blake Autry was at my house a few weeks ago and I was telling him how much my knee hurt and, uh, and, it's, and in a very consoling way he said, well, you are heavier than you've ever been. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think it's going to work out more like that. <laughs> so, does, does anybody have anything, uh, Dennis or, or uh, Blake, anybody have anything that 
anybody, but Blake. You know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. I, uh, <clears throat> we we tend to compartmentalize our theology. We tend to say, okay, here's the stuff I'm supposed to know. Well, it's really not doesn't do you any good to know that stuff. It, the, the importance of that stuff, of all those things you know about God, is. Uh, the way it affects your life, the way it affects your thinking, the way it shapes your thinking. You can go through life thinking God is a tyrant. How, how will that person go through life? God is a tyrant. I better not mess, make any mistakes. As opposed to the person who says, I'm a fallen sinner. I never had a chance to begin with. There's a merciful God who has redeemed me out of that sludge and, and is now making me into his image. How will those two people go through life? And it comes down to what you believe about God, which is your theology. Which it, I thought about you while I was getting ready for this because... <laughs> I, yeah. did, you, did you bring a notebook? I thought, I think we go, we go ahead and get started. <laughs> uh, you asked me when, you know, when I was up here teaching before, and there was a B.B. Warfield quote that Calvinism is an attitude, and you said, how is, how is Calvinism an attitude? And, of course, I didn't know what B.B. Warfield was thinking, but if you say Reformed theology is an attitude, I, I, as I thought about what, you had, what we had talked about, uh, it can't be just an attitude because Reformed theology asks you to accept certain things as truth. So, it's, so you accept these certain things as truth and that, that out of that comes an, atti- an attitude. And so exactly what you're saying right there. What do I believe about myself? If my most fundamental assumption is that I'm a fallen sinner, I'm a broken life, uh, and that I have been redeemed, if that's the most, and that everyone around me is in the same situation, and there are people who need to be redeemed. If that's my most fundamental assumption about life, it shapes everything I do from there. And, it, and so we work out our problems in the context of that right there. Exactly. 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 Yep. Yes, sir. Right. If you don't assume that about yourself, though, it, it sure going to affect how you talk to other people. You know, how you deal with other people. I thought something was really. I'm going to. I hope Bobby doesn't mind if I use this. One night we were talking to somebody and, and this person said, someday those people are going to have to stand and answer to God. And Bobby's answer was so perfect. He said, as we all will. You know, and I think uh, we all tend to say, that person is going to have to answer for that. Well, you know, 
So are we. We're going to be there. And uh, so we're, we're, in, we're in that boat. Yes, sir. I saw, I saw D.A. Carson in a talk a little over a year ago, and he started the talk out like this. But, you know, D.A. Carson, when he would say something like this, just, just put yourself in that position. He said, don't you wish your thoughts were transparent? Don't you wish that everybody could see what you're thinking? Don't you wish that your mother could see what you're thinking? Don't you wish your wife could see what you're thinking? Don't you wish your thoughts were transparent? So, yeah, it's here. It's how we talk to ourselves is our first priority of That's true. I mean, and that's the water we swim in. You know, we we pick all that stuff up ourselves. And uh, so if you need some tough love, talk to Blake. (laughs) (laughs) How do we get something like this started? Now, um, I think, uh, you know, you want to do it, eat an elephant one bite at a time. You want to do it a little bit at a time. I got this advice one time, and that is, and it's not me thinking this up, but somebody told me this one time, start slow. Just start having a little more serious conversations with each other and let that develop. And, uh, and don't start seeing it as your obligation or the expectation that every time you see somebody, you've got to have some jewel of wisdom to drop on them. I've noticed this in your life. I thought I'd come over here and talk to you about it. You know, you got to start out getting to know people and, you, and just start having little deeper conversations with each other. And after a while, let this develop. Do you, would you guys agree that that's a good way to go about this? It's not like we all want to start keeping notebooks all of a sudden and we're going to check each other's notebooks. It just, I, that, we're not going to do that. But it, it would be good to have, to start moving this direction, I think. And, and just let it play out and, and let it develop. So, anybody? Yes. That's good advice, Art. I'm glad you brought that up. Because <clears throat> I wonder, I'd have the same guilt and, and wonder the same thing. So, okay. We've got about five minutes left. We'll, we can stop a little early unless somebody has something else. Bonnie? Mm-hmm. You invite them over for dinner. You give them dinner first, and then you say, 
I think I think that kind of thing right there, Vonnie, I would say let's let those things develop. They're, those are good ideas. And I think it is when people come over to your house and, and you get together for dinners and stuff. That is part of that's that's I think that's the direction we over the next fourteen, sixteen weeks. It's kind of some stuff like that. Maybe right, you know. That's what we're going to be talking about. Okay, everybody good? All right, thanks.